0: In the declining years of the 19th century, marriage was not an alternative that appealed to me. It would have been to exchange comfortable serfdom for absolute slavery, or so I believed. And I am still of that opinion as regards the majority of women. My case was to be the exception that proves the rule, and had I but known what unimagined and unimaginable delights awaited me, The bonds that chafed me would have been unendurable. Those bonds were not broken until the death of my poor papa left me the possessor of a modest fortune, and I set out to see the ancient sights I knew only from books and photographs. In the antique land of Egypt, I learned at last what I had been missing. Adventure, excitement, danger— a life's work that employed all my considerable intellectual powers, and the companionship of that remarkable man who was destined for me as I was for him. What mad pursuits! What struggles to escape! What wild ecstasy! I am informed by a certain person of the publishing persuasion, that i have not set about this in the right way she maintains that if an author wishes to capture the attention of her readers she must begin with a scene of violence and or passion i mentioned a wild ecstasy i said the person gave me a kindly smile "'Poetry, I believe? "'We do not allow poetry, Mrs. Emerson. "'It slows the narrative and confuses the average reader. "'This apocryphal individual is always referred to "'by persons of the publishing persuasion "'with a blend of condescension and superstitious awe. "'Hence my capital letters. "'What we want is blood,' she continued, "'with mounting enthusiasm. "'And a lot of it.' That should be easy for you, Mrs. Emerson. I believe you have encountered a good many murderers. This was not the first time I had considered editing my journals for eventual publication, but never before had I gone so far as to confer with an editor, as these individuals are called. I was forced to explain that if her views were characteristic of the publishing industry today... That industry would have to muddle along without Amelia P. Emerson. How I scorn the shoddy tricks of sensationalism which characterize modern literary productions. To what a state has the noble art of literature fallen in recent years? No longer is a reasoned, leisurely exposition admired. Instead, the reader is to be bludgeoned into attention by devices that appeal to the lowest and most degraded of human instincts. The publishing person went away shaking her head and mumbling about murder. I was sorry to disappoint her, for she was a pleasant enough individual for an American. I trust that remark will not leave me open to an accusation of chauvinism. Americans have many admirable characteristics, but literary taste is rare among them. If I consider this procedure again, I will consult a British publisher. I suppose I might have pointed out to the naive publishing person that there are worse things than murder. Dead bodies I have learned to take in my stride, so to speak. But some of the worst moments of my life occurred last winter, when I crawled on all fours through indescribable refuse, toward the place where I hoped and feared to find the individual dearer to me than life itself. He had been missing for almost a week. I could not believe any prison could hold a man of his intelligence and strength so long unless... (sighs) the hideous possibilities were too painful to contemplate mental anguish overwhelmed the physical pain of bruised knees and scratched palms and rendered inconsequential the fear of enemies on every hand already the swollen orb of day hung low in the west the shadows of the coarse weeds stretched gray across the grass touching the walls of the structure that was our goal It was a small, low building of stained mud brick that seemed to squat sullenly in its patch of refuse-strewn dirt. The two walls, visible to me, had neither windows nor doors. A sadistic owner might keep a dog in such a kennel. Swallowing hard, I turned to my faithful rice, Abdallah, who was close at my heels. He shook his head warningly and placed a finger on his lips. A gesture conveyed his message. The roof was our goal. He gave me a hand up and then followed. A crumbling parapet shielded us from sight, and Abdallah let out his breath in a gasp. He was an old man. The strain of suspense and effort had taken their toll. I had no sympathy to give him then, nor would he have wanted it. Scarcely pausing, he crawled toward the middle of the roof, where there was an opening little more than a foot square— A grill of rusted metal covered it, resting on a ledge or lip just below the surface of the roof. The bars were thick and close together. Were the long days of suspense at an end? Was he within? Those final seconds before I reached the aperture seemed to stretch on interminably. But they were not the worst. That was yet to come the only other light in the foul den below came from a slit over the door. In the gloom of the opposite corner I saw a motionless form. I knew that form. I would have recognized it in darkest night, though I could not make out his features. My senses swam. Then a shaft of dying sunlight struck through the narrow opening and fell upon him. It was he, My prayers had been answered, but, oh, heaven, had we come too late. Stiff and unmoving, he lay stretched out upon the filthy cot. The features might have been those of a waxen death-mask, yellow and rigid. My straining eyes sought some sign of life, of breath, and found none. But that was not the worst. It was yet to come. Yes, indeed. If I were to resort to contemptible devices of the sort the young person suggested, I could a tale unfold. I refuse to insult the intelligence of my as-yet hypothetical reader by doing so, however. I now resume my ordered narrative. As I was saying, What mad pursuits! What struggles to escape! What wild ecstasy! Keats was speaking in quite another context, of course. However, I have been often pursued, sometimes madly, and struggled, successfully, to escape on more than one occasion. The last phrase is also appropriate, though I would not have put it quite that way myself. Pursuits, struggles and the other sentiment referred to, began in Egypt, where I encountered for the first time the ancient civilization that was to inspire my life's work, and the remarkable man who was to share it. Egyptology and Radcliffe Emerson. The two are inseparable, not only in my heart, but in the estimation of the scholarly world. It may be said, In fact, I have often said it, that Emerson is Egyptology, the finest scholar of this or any other era. At the time of which I write, we stood on the threshold of a new century, and I did not doubt that Emerson would dominate the twentieth as he had the nineteenth. When I add that Emerson's physical attributes include sapphire blue eyes, thick raven locks, and a form that is the epitome of manly strength and grace, I believe the sensitive reader will understand why our union had proved so thoroughly satisfactory. Emerson dislikes his first name, for reasons which I have never entirely understood. I have never inquired into them, because I myself prefer to address him by the appellation